They're available to you. The question is whether we will receive them. Those three things available to you, God's grace, God's mercy, and God's peace, available, will we, his children, receive them? The text I want to share with you, Philippians 3, where the Apostle Paul writes, I want to know three things. I want to know Jesus better. I want to know the power of his resurrection better. And I want to be in fellowship with him in a more closer sense. And then two verses later he says, In order to have those three things, I have to do something. In order to know him better, in order to know his power better, in order to be in fellowship with him, I must forget the things that are behind me. And I must press forward to know him better, to know his power better, to be in fellowship with him. I must forget the things that are behind me. You look at me today, it's July 26th. Whether Paul Strand is in July 26th is another matter. Because Paul Strand spends a lot of time in the past. It may be July 26th, but I could be somewhere five years ago or ten years ago or twenty years ago. Connie doesn't help the matter because there at the breakfast table, there's Facebook, and she says, Paul, here's what we were doing five years ago, and here's where we were three years ago, and here's where we were eight years ago. And as soon as I see those pictures, guess what? I'm not in the moment any longer. I'm back then. And thank goodness, right? Thank goodness that God lets us have memories because they just provide a joy and an energy to our life that would not be there otherwise. I dare say many of the things we do during the summer in the course of the year, they're for one specific purpose, to enjoy the moment and for our loved ones, our children, our grandchildren, to have memories that they can store away. I am often in the past with a smile on my face as I consider those things. I also am in the past and, and uh, there's not a smile on my face. Because as I'm in the past, I sit and think about things that I wish I could redo. How many times have I mentioned that to you? That moment you wish God could give it over to you again because the word that came out of your mouth would be entirely different. It would be used to uplift instead of destroy. The action that was done, as you look back upon it, you sit and say, how could I possibly have ever done such a thing? We look at our past and we say, oh my goodness gracious. That was the Apostle Paul. He had much in his past that he could think back upon and smile. He loved bragging about the fact in the epistles that he did finish number one in the law class under Gamaliel. He loved Philippians 4 when he says, I know what it is to be full. I know what it is to have all things. That was when he was a top-ranked Pharisee. There was this huge mansion, and there were a number of chariots, and there were a number of servants around him. He looked back at his past, and he said, My goodness gracious, I was really something. But the Apostle Paul, when he became a believer, he looked back at his past, and instead of saying, I was really something, 
He said, I was really something bad. I was really something bad. The past of the apostle, like the past of David, like the past of Simon Peter, like the past of the disciples, like the past of the prodigal son, like the past of the thief on the cross, like the past of Moses, like the past of Abraham, like the past of the person you saw in the mirror this morning. You're fixing your makeup and then you're saying, why am I doing this? I'm going to cover my face with a mask anyway. The faces of us who, like the Apostle Paul, look back upon our past and all we can do is shake our head and say, may God forgive me, a sinner. Paul's past. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul said, There's an affliction that I've asked God to remove from me because it hinders my ministry, it hinders my joy in life. There are many speculations as to what the affliction was, the thorn in the flesh that Satan sent. Something physical, something mental, something social, something emotional, I think I know what his affliction was. The Apostle Paul, before he became a believer, was what? He was an exterminator of Christians. He would hunt down Christians, he would find their nest, he would grab all of them, throw them into prison, have them tortured, and whether he actually killed them or was assenting to their death, he was involved. The first Christian martyr, Stephen, As he is dying, the Apostle Paul is standing there with his thumbs up, taking care of the coats of those who are committing the murder. The Apostle Paul, his affliction, I'll tell you what it was. He would awaken in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. Not because he was a Vietnam War veteran or World War II veteran, he would wake up in a cold sweat because all of a sudden he'd see the faces of the Christians that he had destroyed. He would see the faces of those who were being tortured. He would see the faces of the family members as they watched a loved one being destroyed by this man. Jack McCaslin, dear Jack, fire chief, uh, passed on to heaven nine months ago. I was down in Champaign-Urbana, my wife's mom lived down there while she was on this earth. And we were down there visiting. I got a phone call that Jack was at Carl Hospital there in Champaign-Urbana. So I went over to see him, and I talked with him for quite some time. I said, Jack, I was talking to a veteran a couple of weeks ago, and, and he had to stop talking because the pain of Vietnam was, was just too real to him. I said, Jack... You were in Vietnam, tell me. And he smiled sadly and he said, I am the poster child for post-traumatic stress syndrome. I'm the poster child. He said, there is never a night in these 50 years that I do not awake in the middle of the night. If it's a good night, I'm not screaming. If it's a bad night, I'm screaming. But my wife understands by now what is going on inside of me. I wonder if the Apostle Paul woke up screaming when he saw faces. And I sit and wonder if he thought, 
when I get to heaven, are these families going to be lined up? And is there going to be a look of great hatred in their faces? He said, I forget the things which are behind me. And I must do this or I will never know the knowledge of Christ, the power of Christ, or being in fellowship with him. I must forget the things which are behind. English lit major in college. I reread one of the novels a couple of weeks ago, House of the Seven Gables by Nathaniel Hawthorne. In the middle of that book, there is a paragraph. Talks about the main character. He had a very difficult relationship with his dad, who had died years before. And in that paragraph, it said, He carried around the dead corpse of his father. He carried it with him every single day, every circumstance that he was ever involved in. There was the dead corpse of his father. The older he got, the more energy it robbed from him, the more joy it robbed from him. And finally, in the last sentence of that paragraph, it said, He must bury the dead corpse of his father. For when he does that, life will return to him. And I smiled a little bit and said, Thank you, God, and you know what I'm preaching on in two weeks. The Apostle Paul said, Satan wants to destroy what I have. And if I spend time in the past, sins which God has forgiven, if I spend time in the past, I shall never know him as I desire. I want to talk about the past. I want to talk about three things that can destroy an individual. First thing I want to mention is the loss of loved ones. The loss of loved ones. In 42 years in the ministry, there is 30, 40, 50 times in which a person has said to me, my life ended on such and such a date. And they will name the date, they will name the time, and they will name the circumstance. And what they mean is this. That is the day my son died. That is the day my daughter died. That is the day my baby died. That is the day that my wife, having been married for three weeks, that's when she died. That's when my mom died. That's when my dad died. That's when my best friend died. And they will specify that time, and they will say, my life came to an end on that day. At a funeral yesterday, she was 67 years of age, Posey Seabrandt. She had been battling cancers since she was 27. 40 years, cancers, in and out of her body. And as I preached last night, 8 o'clock at Brady Gill, I said to the family what I've said almost 900 times. I said to them, you will not say goodbye to Posey. You will say until I see you again. Why? Because you believe this one fact. Jesus 
cannot lie. And if Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you might be where I am. Jesus cannot lie. And if he says there is life after this life, and if he says your loved one is safe with me, and if he says I'll be with you in the midst of a grief that takes your breath away, you have to believe him. As Connie and I have believed him these last 13 years. Jesus cannot die. Our loved ones, Billy Graham, two years before he died, Billy Graham said, I will come to my end soon. And when I come to my end on this earth, there will be thousands weeping. I would say to each one of them, do not weep, because I am in the land of the living and you are still in the land of the dying. And I am more alive now than I have ever, 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 ever been. I understand grief. I understand grief. When you lose a son when he's 27 years of age, you understand grief. I understand how long it lasts. I understand how it disappears for a long time after a number of years have gone by. And then it comes sweeping back. I understand all of that. But I never have said goodbye to Jonathan. I've always said until I see you again. And when I woke up this morning, it was one day closer to that event. Your loved one, if they realized that their leaving would diminish your life, would destroy your life, if it was possible to weep in heaven... They would be weeping. When someone says to me, my life ended on that day, I will always ask them, tell me about him, tell me about her. Tell me what they were like. Tell me how they impacted your life. Tell me how you're a different, better person because of them. And they will spend an hour or two talking about that individual. And when they do that, their tears go away, and there's a smile on their face, and there's a warmth in their hearts. I often think that I should spend less time grieving John and more time thanking God for him being in our life for 27 years and in the lives of so many others. I forget what is behind me, or I shall be so overwhelmed in the mountain called grief that I shall not function. There's a second thing in our past. The harm that was done us. The harm that was done us. The betrayal, the deceit, the lies, the harm that was done us. I preached a sermon on this five months ago. Someone did you some harm, it destroyed your family. Someone did you some harm, you lost your job. It took you three or four years to ever recover. Someone did you harm, they told false stories about you, and ten years later you were still hearing whisperings. Someone did you harm. He already had two DUIs. He was still driving when he plowed into your car, 
and the damage done indescribable. What does one do about the past, someone who did you harm? The Apostle Paul, who said, I forget the things that are behind me, he also said the text that Pastor Shower read. Certainly one of the top three most powerful portions of Scripture. All things work together for good to those who love God. Someone did you harm. I say to people all the time, if unintentional evil was done to you, God forgives as readily as he forgives you when you do unintentional evil. If there is intentional evil done to you, then God becomes the judge. God becomes the judge. Because he realizes if you spend time in the past thinking about that individual, there is a cancer far stronger than pancreatic cancer or brain cancer going on in you. There is a cancer so powerful that it eats away at you every single day, and there is no chemotherapy, and there is no radiation treatment that can deal with it. I forget what is behind me. Satan took that event, he meant it for my destruction. Is Satan more powerful than God? Is that evil act done against me more powerful than God's ability to do something with it? Jeremiah 18.4, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. The pot became marred in the potter's hands. The pot became damaged, the DUI ran into me, and my family's life was destroyed. The pot became marred in the potter's hand by someone else's sin, and he reshaped it into a vessel as seemed best to him. The harm that was done you, God took the harm. And you became the person that you are not filled with rage, hatred, and anger, but you became the person that you are. Romans 5.3, we rejoice when trials come. They help us persevere in the faith in our Lord. We did not give up. They build character within us. We're a different person because of the nightmare we went through. And they provide hope. Perseverance, character, and hope. Hope that God himself exists. He's stronger than Satan himself. First John 5, 4, the one in you stronger than the one in this world. Things done in the past to you. God did not let Satan win. You became the person you are today because of what God did with that past event. Why else is there Alcoholics Anonymous? Why else is there grief support groups? Why else is there divorce support groups? Why else, why else, why else? There's a third and final thing that's in our past that can destroy our present. That's the sins that you and I have done to others. 
the sins that literally will cause a person on their deathbed as the minister or the priest ask everyone else to leave the room. And the minister or the priest ask, do you believe in Jesus? And the answer is yes. And then the question is asked, is there anything you wish to confess? And three times out of ten, four times out of ten, there is something confessed. Something done five years ago or 15 years ago, more likely something done 60 or 70 years ago. They're 91. It happened when they were 21. And it's lingered inside of them all of these years. And the minister says, let me tell you about David. Let me tell you about Moses. Let me tell you about Abraham. Let me tell you about Simon Peter. Let me tell you about the disciples And then the minister asks, you think David's in heaven, Moses in heaven, Abraham in heaven? You think Simon Peter's in heaven? And the answer is yes, they say. And then the word of forgiveness offered, not as absolution on a Sunday morning in church, but the word offered to them there in the hospital, under hospice care. God forgave that sin 50 years ago the moment you ask him to forgive it. Your past, is it grief? Is it injury done to you? Is it injury you've done to someone else? That is the category of the past which the Apostle Paul is speaking of. I forget the past. Why? Because God took all things and worked them for my good. If the prodigal son was alive today, I'd have him standing up here at the lectern giving a testimony. If Simon Peter was alive today, I'd have him at the lectern giving a testimony of how all things, including him cursing and swearing and saying, I don't know who Jesus is. I would have each one in the Bible give their testimony as the worst things they ever did in their life were forgiven by God and they became mountains. They became mountains in living forth his kingdom. I want to know him better, amen. I want to know his power better, amen. And I want to have a closer fellowship with him. Amen. And in order for Paul Strand to do that, he must forget the things that are behind him because those things are in the hand of God. And the hand of God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God's grace, God's mercy, God's peace available to us in our Savior's name. Amen. Let me have a prayer with you. When Stephen was being stoned, he said, Heavenly Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it was but a few years later that Saul became a believer in the Lord Christ. Because indeed you answered Stephen's prayer and he was forgiven.
Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, did not ask God to damn the chief priests, scribes, and Pharisees. He did not ask God to damn the Roman soldiers. He asked God to forgive them. And many of the priests came to the faith, Acts 6, and the Roman centurion said, Truly this was a son of God. And the apostles ended up dying for their faith. And Simon Peter was forgiven and became a stalwart in the church. And the Roman centurion said, Truly this was a son of God. Heavenly Father, we understand we become marred by things on this earth of our own doing or things done against us. But you take those impurities and you meld them into a pot that will be a strong vessel for the work of your kingdom. May it be so in the lives of all of your children, in Jesus' name, amen.